0: a visual artist who employs a unique process of collaging his own woodblock printed textures to engage ideas about blackness as an adaptive material for survival strategies. Yashua's work has been shown in museums and galleries across the United States and abroad, including the Student Museum of Harlem, What If the World Gallery in Johannesburg, South Africa, Tilton Gallery in New York City, and UTA Artist Space in Los Angeles. His first solo museum show opened in February 2022 at the Welland Museum in Clinton, New York. Yashua's work has been featured in publications such as the New York Times, and he has been awarded artist residencies at Skowhegan, the Vermont Studio Center, to name a few. He is also the recipient of a Joan Mitchell Fellowship and a NYFA grant. Yashua was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. He now works and resides in New York City with studios in Brooklyn and the Bronx. Enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast featuring Yashua Kloss. Yashua, welcome so much to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. It's a pleasure to be able to feature you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Phyllis.
0: Let's start with you sharing with us when did you discover your artistic passion?
1: Yeah, sure. So according to my mom, because I was too young to remember this, but this started when I was a baby. So she would tape a piece of paper to my high chair and give me crayons and I would draw. And I guess in those scribbles, she saw some kind of interest or I don't know if if it's fair to say it was talent at that age, but I was definitely excited to get those crayons. <laughs> and uh, according to her, this is this is the genesis right there was at that high chair. Love that. As you got older, do you recall if there was an artist that influenced you? Yeah, I mean, I think before I was really aware of a fine art world and um, artists themselves, I was really interested in comic books. So probably in my, you know, preteen years, Uh, I was looking at those comic books, of course, for their storytelling, but also just this facility of drawing, because, again, I I started out drawing. I was always really a drawer. So my first influences were uh, anything where I was, I guess, captivated by, like, felicity and drawing, especially human anatomy. And those comic books were, like, a great entry point for me. I didn't become aware of... uh, sort of a fine art world until maybe late in high school where I started seeing certain Chicago artists where I'm from. Uh there was a guy named Mr. Imagination, who was, I guess, what is what is called a quote unquote outsider artist or, or folk artist who would just make things in like abandoned lots. He would cover chairs with bottle caps and turn them into thrones. And I was really just excited by the the idea that as an artist, you could kind of do whatever you wanted. There were seemingly no rules. How would you define your practice? I think I would say my practice is really driven by process. So there's a lot of discovery that happens when I'm uh, in the studio making. I'm ultimately image making, but I'm incorporating woodblock printing and collage, and of course the histories of those processes as well. Those histories are kind of referred to in my practice often. So I'm carving blocks of wood, and I use MDF wood because it doesn't have a wood grain. And I ink up the surface, so the relief surface that remains after I carve it is what catches the ink from there i press paper or muslin or canvas whatever i'm printing on on top and i and i pull hand prints those prints then become collage source material that i either archive or i use right away and i cut up and reassemble them and they sort of get patched in and glued into place on a canvas in a collage so it's really process driven i'm exploring the whole way sometimes i'm not quite locked in or committed to an exact image, but I have a uh, roundabout idea of where it's going and then I go wherever the process takes me. Do you recall what inspired
0: the process, the initial process to work with these materials?
1: Yeah, I do. So when I moved to New York, I started grad school at Pratt Institute. There was a guy teaching at Pratt named Dennis McNett who was a part of a Wolf Bat Prince and Cannonball Press. And he would do these large eight foot by four foot block carvings with his students. And he invited me to join. And it was it was just kind of a spectacle for me because we would carve these blocks. And then he would hire like a, a man driven steamroller to drive over the blocks that were laying in the street in order to press them. So I was just kind of like smitten right away just by the kind of how fantastic all of it was. And and also it was printmaking as community. So we were all like inking each other's blocks and helping each other pull these prints. So there was this like communal activity that I didn't see happening inside of a print shop. It was a whole different way of considering uh, printmaking that seemed uh, really accessible and really fun. It's great you had that experience. Yeah, I'm so grateful for it. It's really unique.
0: You know, we spoke once and you mentioned your interest in words. How do words influence your creativity?
1: Right? Well, words are a big part of the way that I think. I mean, I would argue that words are a big part of the way most of us think. But I tend to think about ideas in words, sometimes in titles. And sometimes they're just sort of phrases, and those phrases, something about them that I guess I sort of am drawn to, there might be a a poetry in in a phrase or something that's seemingly sort of contradictory that I'm really interested in. I mean, my work is often about a kind of tension of contradictions, right, since I'm, I'm using paper. But I'm building these uh, faces that seem to say that they're made out of wood or concrete. So I'm really interested in sort of maybe conflicting words that can create poetry. Do you listen to music while you work? I listen to music while I work. Sometimes if if I just like fall in love with a song, I'll just play that song over and over. To me, that helps because it's like I can zone out and I can kind of just let the song just keep playing. And I, I don't have to think about the lyrics anymore, or, you know, where the where the beat switches up, or I can just kind of like, almost go into a, a meditative state with the work. How do you keep learning? Yeah, I, I'm just like a really nosy person, Phyllis. So it's pretty easy. <laughs> like, I am I stay curious. I'm like, I'm really interested in things that aren't that aren't sort of forward facing to me. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about Disciplines or ways of making that um, I may have never got any training in, or may have never really had access to. Uh, right now, I'm sort of like fascinated by wood inlay and intarsia, and that that tradition of of cutting pieces of wood and arranging them in these puzzle like configurations. It's, it's not something that you know I've ever seen up close, actually, other than you know maybe in museums. But I'm really interested in a technique that has a history, has a tradition. And even if it, the tradition doesn't really imply, you know, me or things I'm directly interested in, I, there's something about it, about craftsmanship, I guess, that that is sort of like always attractive to me.
0: Are there concepts or thoughts that have always connected your work?
1: You know, I have realized, I think in retrospect, really, that my work has really always been about family. It's been about the it, I, I would say this generated from my upbringing, South Side Chicago, being raised by a single parent mom, not having much biological family and learning through my mom that family were the neighbors who would take care of me when she couldn't come home or my family were her best friends who were my aunties and their their sons were like my cousins or my brothers and my mom would also do daycare and she would take care of other people's children. So the, all those kids, you know, became cousins and, and nephews and so on. So I think I've I've developed a sense of family based on community. And a lot of my work has really been about that. Of course, re- recently, I've had a, a life changing experience where I have reconnected with the patrilineal side of my family, and that has changed my work uh, and my life really uh, drastically and dramatically. So the work now still considers family, but now I'm sort of, I guess, wrestling with my self-identity inside of a larger family. and what it what family means to me now that I have uh, so much biological family uh, that I'm a part of.
0: What overcomes you when you start to
1: focus and think about a new work? Yeah, you know this is this is like kind of a a tricky question. I love the question. But for me, it's it's, I think it's tricky because I often feel like there's a notion of the artist as this like creative wizard that just sort of catches inspiration. And then we're sort of in a flurry, you know, um, working through this inspiration, which that does happen. There are times when you're certainly in your zone for sure. But then there are times where it's almost just like hey, you kind of drag yourself to work, you know, and <laughs> sometimes I feel like the coffee becomes my inspiration on those days, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, but either way it goes, I, I sort of, I guess I feel like it's job well done or it's, it's my day fulfilled when I do feel at some point in the day where I've had that creative drive that makes me lose track of time. It makes me lose track of the fact that I might have thought I was hungry a half hour ago, or I start, you know, forgetting I got to call somebody back. That means that things are going well for me in the studio. Um, There's that that kind of zone that happens. And sometimes it's hard to get to. So the inspiration that gets me there, it could be it could be that music that I play, it could be the fact that, you know, I've got this humongous family that I mentioned that is expressing all this generosity and and love and welcoming me in and I'm trying to make things that can show them my my value to the family and show them how I can contribute to the family because I've been a part for them for 40 years so I'm I'm often inspired by them I'm often inspired by again just like the friends around me that have shown me things about myself that I am so you know grateful for so my friends uh, who've always been my family have are always like a part of my inspiration as well What does your workplace look and feel like that's so such a good question because i've realized that the feel of the workplace is so important for me so i've i've been in a live work loft in brooklyn for 17 years and i just recently moved out got a new space in the bronx and as soon as I walked into the space, I was just taken by the light. It's got big windows. The sun comes right in. I mean, I'm looking out the windows now and it's like, you know, it's an industrial view, but it's a view and it's a, it's a sunny day. And, you know, with that industry around me, again, there's this kind of like motivation to get to work, but it's also like these beautiful hardwood floors and it just feels good in here. It's a, it's a good size studio. And I've brought in some of that that live work component. So I have a couch in here so I can take breaks and make some of that uh, inspirational coffee that I mentioned earlier. (laughs) So it's a space that feels warm for me.
0: So when you're creating, when do the titles of your work
1: enter the creative process? Sometimes I have the title before I even begin uh, because again, just like thinking about language, sometimes the title is an idea that I've been turning over in my mind. Sometimes I will complete a work, and I'll need to title it. And I'll sit with it, I'll look at it from different angles and different distances. And the trick that I found for me, in order to get to the title, if I'm struggling is I get a sharpie, and I grab a a piece of white print printing paper, and I just start writing down the ideas that come to me when I look at the work, I cross them out, I circle them, but that's a way for some reason, it's that, that black Sharpie and that white paper that just gets it done for me. So if I need a title, I I know where to turn.
0: How do you define black
1: art? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated question. I, I understand why it's asked. I think right now we're in a time where there's clearly like market space for objects and actions that fall within category of black art. So I guess with all categories in capitalism, I think I'm suspicious about power dynamics of exploitation that are inherent in those categories. So for that reason, I I myself try not to define black art. I think there's power in its elusiveness. I think there's power in the kind of malleability of it. Certainly black people are not a monolith. uh, So the work that we produce wouldn't be either. I find that black art is is powerful uh, in its ability to shapeshift right There's so many so many different ways that uh, black folks are creating things that um, that slippage and that 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 elusiveness to fall into the category is really what what gives us the power.
0: If you weren't a visual artist, what other career would you have chosen?
1: That's a tricky question too <laughs> <laughs> Because I I imagine I feel similarly to a lot of artists that feel so much like we found ourselves through art. So it is really hard to kind of detach from the self that you know yourself as and imagine another thing. I would say that I feel very grateful that my mother, as I mentioned, saw my interest early on and... Though she also didn't know what it meant to be a, an artist or a professional artist, for that matter, she encouraged it. If I didn't have that, I actually think I might have been a mechanic uh, that is a, like a car, a car, automobile mechanic or, or some some occupation where I was sort of configuring out how to piece things together, complicated machinery. I Actually, a family friend just recently told me that before they realized that I was going to pursue art uh, academically, they were thinking of encouraging my mom to to put me into uh, mechanic trade school. So that's a possibility. You know, I, I can kind of see that too. I can kind of see myself as a happy mechanic, more or less. When you're creating, do you think about who your audience is? You know, I do and I don't. I mean, I think that Of course, I'm trying to invite a viewer into the work. So I'm making the work in a way, I guess you would call it like dropping those breadcrumbs. I want to lead the viewer to a place inside the work. Once they're inside the work, it's really a choose your own adventure from there. I'm not interested in in, uh, being didactic or dictating what the viewer gets from the work. So in that way, I I stop considering audience because I think the best part of art is the part that the audience brings to the art. And I can't know that. I can't know uh, what the audience member needs from the work. So I try to consider the audience as much as it takes to sort of welcome them into the work. Do you think they understand your work? I think anyone who gets anything from a work of art kind of becomes the audience for it. So if they're getting something from it, I guess in that way, I would consider them audience because they could certainly walk right by it and not even notice, not even see or experience uh, the artwork. So if that's where they begin, and I guess in some ways that experience isn't understanding, I have no idea, of course, what that understanding is, because I'm sure that changes from viewer to viewer. Of course, I have conversations with uh, viewers about my work. And to be honest, I usually lead those conversations by asking them to lead the conversation. I ask them to tell me what they're thinking because I learn so much about my work from the eyes of, of the audience. So I guess in some ways I feel like I've had instances where I feel like the audience understands the work even better than me. You know, there there are times where like something is said and I'm like, wow, you know what? I think you're on to something. I don't know if I was consciously thinking that, but I'm really excited about that. And learning from my work through other people uh, has become something that I don't want to get in the way of as an artist by explaining, over explaining the work. So... I'd say the audience understands the work in the way that they certainly need to. And I try not to judge the audience's understanding. Whatever they receive from the work is what they're meant to get.
0: What are you excited about now?
1: I'm really excited. I just put up my first solo museum show at the Welland Museum uh, in Clinton, New York. It's connected to Hamilton College. It is a huge space. I did the largest, most ambitious work of art I've done yet for that show. It's a 40-foot by 15-foot mural that incorporates portraits of my family, and it's based on Diego Rivera's Detroit Industry Mural. So I'm really excited that I was able to make that thing, as well as the other works in the show, and the museum has been super supportive, and it's just a a gorgeous space. So that show is up to the end of June. Um, When that comes down, I'll have my first solo show at Sycamore Jenkins in New York. And I'm super excited about that. I guess even before those things, I have my first text-based piece that I'm finishing up that's going towards the Center uh, for Contemporary Art in Maine. And I may have just said the title of that museum wrong. I think it's the the Center of Maine Contemporary Art, CMCA. And that opens at the end of next month. So that would be the end of May. That that opens uh, my first text-based piece. I've been trying to figure out a way to get involved with uh, making a text-based piece, and this what I what I figured out. I think I'm I'm I think it works. I'm really excited about it. It's also a very large piece, about thirty-five feet long and eight feet high. So it will kind of be in the lobby of the museum, and um, I can't wait to see it. So this is our last question,
0: and what do you feel is the purpose of art? And what is your role?
1: So um, the purpose of art, I, I I guess I would land at something like humanity. I think art helps us get closer to our own humanity. I think it may also be a tool for self-reflection, uh, for question asking. I guess if I think back to like, you know, some of the oldest record of art that we have that humans made are, are those cave paintings, which were about maybe some sort of storytelling, right? Hunting, some way to communicate to, to others, or maybe the artists themselves were reflecting on the day. So there's something there, I think, that art has always helped us reflect. It's always helped us maybe even ask better questions. I, I had a professor once who told me that uh, art is not here to answer questions, that good art asks more sophisticated questions. And I think I like that. I think when I come across artwork that feels too resolved, I think more about design. I think we think about design, uh, design is sort of uh, interested in solutions, but art often is interested in making things complicated or seeing things as complicated as they are and kind of like allowing that to be. So my role as an artist, I would say is to provoke uh even better questions
0: yeah art makes us think
1: absolutely
0: thank you so much for your time this has been a
1: great interview oh my god the the interview flew by phyllis that was so fast i loved it thanks for reaching out and having me be a part of cerebral women thank you my pleasure
0: thank you for listening to cerebral women art talks podcast For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.